0: You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. Thank you so much, worship team. It was fantastic singing Holy, Holy, Holy with you, but I couldn't help but think about what it's going to be like one day when we sing around the throne with billions of other Christians. What... What a day that is going to be. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. Let us uh, pray. I'm really excited. This is our last uh, sermon on Galatians. Only one gospel boasting only in the cross of Christ. What a glorious and fitting ending to this amazing book. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. A couple of shameless plugs before I pray. Uh, First, if you're a senior, I would encourage you to come to New Horizons. New Horizons is awesome. It's a great chance to sing, worship, sing hymns and praises to our God. It's great to hear uh, the testimony of God's faithfulness and to be taught from his word. It's great to pray together and it's great to fellowship together. Uh, getting to know each other well so that we can pray for each other, walk alongside each other in life. It is Fantastic. And so I'd really encourage you, if you're a senior, come up to that. Also, for everyone, if you have schedule flexibility, I really want to encourage you to come Thursday mornings to prayer, 9 a.m. here at the church. That Thursday morning is one of my favorite times of the whole week. On Thursday, we were praying, and it was incredible. We, we could have prayed for hours. It was so, so cool. And uh, it's just a real privilege to to come and to pray with other believers to praise God and uh, do so many different things. So I just want to encourage you, especially if you haven't been able to get into a prayer group because timing doesn't work, encourage you to come out on Thursday morning. If you've got kids, come out, put them in a classroom. They're going to come get you sometimes, and that's okay. We like that. It's great that you have your kids. It's great that um, they need their mom or their dad sometimes. That's cool. Uh, But we would love if you would come and pray with us. Let's pray all together, and then we'll dive in this morning. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your holiness, Lord. We praise you that you are a God of absolute perfection. Lord, there is nothing in you um, that isn't perfect. There's nothing that I could look for outside of you that I could want. Lord, it's you and you alone. We praise you for your sovereignty. We praise you for your love your grace, and your compassion, Lord. And God, we come before you and saying thank you. Lord, I've been marveling this week, thanking you for your patience. God, you are so patient with me. I'm such a messed up, broken, sinful human. And the fact that you choose to use me in some small way blows my mind. But I thank you for your patience and your grace in my life and for the lives of all of us as believers. God, I thank you for this church. Church is awesome. I love coming here and worshiping, and praying, and partaking in communion, and studying your word with these wonderful people. Lord, thank you for bringing each and every person out here this morning. I pray that you would help us as we open your word. God, would it, would it rock our souls? Would our minds marvel at the truth of what you have put in these um, words, and would our lives reflect the glorious um, truth of the gospel in your name? Amen. All right, let's finish by reading um, Galatians 6, starting at verse 11. Finish the book, not the sermon. It's not that short. Starting at verse 11, Paul writes this, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make I want to start with a question as we often do. When was the last time that someone cared enough about you to tell you the truth? When was the last time someone cared enough about you to tell you the truth? Maybe it was a friend or a co-worker or a boss or a loving Christian brother or sister. I want you to think about this. When was the last time someone cared enough about you to tell you the truth? I was reading an article by Rosaria Butterfield on this topic and she shared a story That really struck me. She wrote this. She said, A few years ago, I was speaking at a large church in the evening. An older woman waited until the end of the evening and approached me. She told me she was 75 years old, that she had been married to a woman for 50 years, and that she and her partner had children and grandchildren. Then she said something chilling. In a hushed voice, she whispered, I have heard the gospel And I understand that I may lose everything. Why didn't anyone tell me this before? Why did people I love not tell me that I would one day have to choose like this? It's a good question. Why did not one person tell this dear image bearer that she could not have illicit love and gospel peace at the same time? Why didn't anyone throughout all these decades tell this woman that sin and Christ cannot abide together? For the cross never makes itself an ally with the sin it must crush. Because Christ took our sin upon himself and paid the ransom for its dreadful cost. The cross never makes an ally with sin. And this is what the Holy Spirit moves Paul to so passionately write as he closes this letter to the Galatians, doesn't he? Look at verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. He writes this because he wants them to know that he's taken the pen from the scribe. Most likely, there's been a scribe writing for him for this letter that he's written them. But he's snatched the pen, and he's writing the section himself. And he's writing in big letters. He's writing in all caps, right? Just pounding that key. Why is he doing this? Because he cares enough about his readers to tell them the truth. He wants them to know throughout the whole book that he's written to them, that there's only one true gospel, and it must not be compromised. And we know in his letter, he begs them to examine the scriptures and to hear the testimony of a man whose life was changed by meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, and to remember that if the gospel truly did change their life, like they would profess as Christians, then they need to stand in it. It's theological truth colliding with lived experience. Remember when we looked at this at the start of the book? We said that meeting Jesus changed everything, and we saw that in Paul's life, and we remembered it in our own life. And that good news, that gospel that changed Paul's life is that we can be with God, the creator and sustainer of the world, the wellspring of true eternal life. We can be with him both now and forever because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel changes everything. And so this is why Paul writes to them in all caps. He wants them to know that he cares for his reader enough to tell them the truth. What he's written in this letter. Both that life is found in Jesus and that the cross never makes an ally with sin. There's only one gospel, and it cannot be added. To. Both the truth of the gospel and the lived experience of the gospel are life-altering. Jesus changed Paul's life. We know that. Meeting Jesus changed everything. It changed the trajectory of his life, where he would go, what he would do. Of course, those sort of things. But more than that, God changed the affections of his heart, didn't he? God changed what he loved. God changed changed what drove him, what he cared about. He experienced joy in pain, which is crazy. He experienced hope where so many had none. He found a bond with believers like he had never felt with people in his whole life. He found peace that allowed him to endure so much suffering. And he found a truth that he could stake his life on. And that was found in one gospel, in one gospel alone. And so he writes to tell the Galatians, the truth. And so he sort of summarizes it. And what is the first thing that he tells them? Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What does he tell them at the start? He tells them to check their motives Why are some of them following, why are some of them believing this false gospel, even though the gospel that he preached to them, the gospel that's Jesus, it's the cross alone, that that changed their life? Why are they adding to it? Why are they following that false gospel? And he presses them to check their motives and say, is it only that you wouldn't be persecuted? So here's a question for us. Are you willing to compromise on the gospel to avoid persecution? In the Galatians' case, if they just made one seemingly small tweak to the gospel, if they were willing to say the cross plus the law was the gospel, then they would avoid all this persecution. And many of them were choosing that path. And this same choice faces us as Christians over and over and over again, doesn't it? For some of you, it starts right in your home or with your extended family. For others, it's at work or with neighbors or friends. And we can certainly compromise the gospel, both by adding to it, like many of the Galatians were doing, and we've looked at that in this series. But also, and I think this is more of a struggle for me, I can compromise the gospel by not sharing it. And that certainly helps me avoid persecution. You might say to me, Mark, how's that compromising the gospel? I haven't even said anything. I think it's compromising it by tarnishing others' perspectives of it, by not living in the truth that I profess to have. Does the actual truth of the gospel hinge on my actions? No, absolutely not. But am I a good witness to the gospel when its truth in my life don't line up? No. So while it's absolutely true that I can't compromise the essence of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, because that's rooted in who God is and what Jesus has done. And by the way, thank the Lord for that. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Because we're imperfect and sinful and fail all the time. But the gospel's testimony is compromised in the eyes of those around us when I don't share it. It's me either saying that I don't love those around me enough to share it Or that Jesus is not enough for me if by chance when I share it, I lose everything. And to be honest, most of the times that's dramatic. We probably won't lose everything. Maybe just something. And if I really don't love others deeply and passionately, has the gospel fully gripped my heart? And if Jesus is not enough for me, if everything else is taken away, has the gospel really changed me? So will we be perfect at sharing the gospel? No. Many times, like uh, Tom was talking about last week, we will do what we don't want and not do what we should. We know that struggle in the flesh. But don't let your heart be satisfied in that and thinking, okay, I know that's a reality, so I'm good to stay there. We can't be satisfied in that and thinking that sharing the gospel is someone else's responsibility because that tarnishes the gospel's testimony in our lives. Here's also the flip side of this. So many of you are really, really good at this, and I praise God for it. So many of you encourage me. I'll give you one example. We've got a lot of awesome business owners in this church, and I love to hear your stories of how you bring the gospel to your workplace and unashamedly share it with clients and staff and trades and the independent contractors and people that you deal with. Knowing you could lose a lot, in sales, in contracts, business relationships, and yet you stand on the gospel. And that's incredible to watch. And then Paul keeps going with another warning before he gets to verse 14. And what's this warning he gives us here? For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Very interesting question comes out of this. Are we not tempted to boast in our own flesh? I think we all are, are we not? We're all tempted to boast in our own flesh. Are we not tempted to show God how great we are? Or to show others how great we are at following God, how good a Christian we are? Sometimes I think we get so good at that we, we can make it look like we barely needed or even still need the gospel. Isn't that one of the greatest enemies to the gospel? and to the glory of God in the cross of Christ, my own pride. I found that to be true in my life. I think it's one of the easiest and deadliest ways to add to the gospel, to add your own work to the eternal work that God has already done and can only do. So here's the follow-up question. Make this practical. When was the last time you boasted in your flesh? Think about it. When was the last time... It was probably this week. When was the last time you boasted in your flesh? When was the last time you did something to show yourself to be great, to get some glory for you? Or, or maybe it's this, that you took something on yourself that's really the work of God. Did you do that? Bearing the weight to save your kids or change your spouse? Or thinking you're the only one that can provide for your family? The list can go on. Now you're ready for the knockout punch? Why? I want you to really think about that. Why? What caused your heart in that moment to choose that road? Because as Christians, we know the truth. And yet our hearts can be prone To go this path, to boast, not in the gospel, not in the cross, but instead in our own flesh. Why? What's in your heart that caused you to go that way? And when you find it, I would encourage you to deal with it, to come before God and to deal with that, confess it. Ask him to change that heart attitude inside of you. So Paul's given us a few warnings and then we come to verse 14. The warnings are what? That they, they will compromise their ability to boast only in the cross because of what? Because of our aversion to persecution? That can compromise our ability to boast only in the cross? What else can compromise their ability to boast in the cross? I think it's our own need for control or our tendency to feed our own pride. Those things can compromise verse 14 because this is what we want to do. But Paul says, far be it from me, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What a weighty and glorious statement that Paul makes. And if you're looking for a verse to hang on your wall, this one's right up there with really good verses to hang on your wall. So let's break it down a little bit in the context of the verses that come after it, because they all connect, they all coalesce to show what Paul feels deep in his soul as he writes to this church. First in the yellow, let's look at verse 14 and ask ourselves the question, why? Why is Paul boasting in the cross alone? Paul boasts in the cross alone because it's the only thing that makes sense in light of who God is and what he has done for him. He's saying it no longer makes sense for him to brag about how spiritual he was or how holy he was or how many laws that he have kept. It doesn't make sense for him to boast in the flesh in any way. He boasts in the cross alone because the cross signifies that it was the work of God that made him a new creation. And we can see that there in the pink, don't we? That's the connection. He boasts in the cross because he's been made new. He's experienced both sides of the coin, both parts of life. He experienced life before the cross and he experienced life after the cross. And what did he find? He found that Jesus changed everything. He found that life after he met Jesus was so much harder, wasn't it? And yet it was infinitely greater because his heart was made new. He was born again. And so now let's answer another question. Why? Second why. Why can Paul boast? Why is this even allowed? I thought boasting was sinful. Paul can boast in the cross because it's not boasting Because it's all truth. He's boasting in who God is. Remember the fruits of the Spirit. We looked at in Galatians 5. And it's boasting for people's good. How is it for people's good? Because he's pointing people to God. Only eternally good. Listen to this. Eternally good. Not always worldly how things happen to me in this life. But eternally. Things are only eternally good. Only eternally good things happen when people run to God and love God more. So it's good for people. Now contrast that with sinful boasting. What's sinful boasting? Sinful boasting is marked by someone not worthy attempting to elevate themselves above God or someone else, and the boasting is meant for their own good. And so is this boasting sinful? No. No. This boasting is what we were created to do. It's to show off the wonder and the majesty and the splendor and the truth of who God is, and it all converges at the cross. This is why we boast in the cross alone. And so what does it look like to live a life that boasts only in the cross? Because that can sound really good and spiritual at church, where you're like, how does that play out in my life? Life. We could spend a day here and actually want to encourage you. If you remember one thing, ponder this question tonight. When you're going home or laying your head down on your pillow or talking about church, ponder this question What does it look like to live a life that boasts only in the cross? I'm going to give you four things. There's so many more. First one is this We boast in weakness. If we want to magnify Christ and boast in the cross, I know this seems counterintuitive because we're supposed to be boasting in the cross, but we boast in weakness. Why? Because our weakness points to both the need and to the glory of the cross. When we boast in our weakness, what are we telling everyone? We're saying, I need the cross desperately. I need Jesus desperately. Is it really that great if you don't need it? No. But if what happens when you need it desperately, then all of a sudden that becomes glorious, doesn't it? And that's where Paul was, and that's where we are to be. We want to boast in our weakness. So, what does this look like practically? Get ready for it, it's the V word. It means being vulnerable, it means being honest about sin. It means being transparent and authentic. It means not suffering in silence or alone. It means opening up your life to show yourself as insufficient and Christ is all sufficient. That's what it means to boast in weakness. And when we do that, we boast in the cross of Christ. Number two. Every good thing in life magnifies Christ. Uh, Piper says this. He says, every blessing in life is meant to magnify the cross of Christ. Or to say to it another way, every good thing in life and every bad thing that God turns for good is meant to magnify cro- the Christ in him crucified. I think this basically just sums up his, our all, everyone's life, doesn't it? Does this not sum up your life? Every good thing, every blessing in your life, what's its purpose? To magnify Christ. That's its purpose. We give glory to God for every good thing that we have, recognizing it's not from us. It's from God. And then here's the flip side. Every bad thing turned good. And think about this for a second. What does that mean? What does that mean? Do most Practically speaking, do most bad things in life go just from being awful to being amazing? No, not normally. A lot of stuff that's awful in life, a lot of pain, stays awful, stays full of pain. And so, what makes them good is that through the bad thing, through the pain, through the suffering, you grow. You learn more about your creator and your king. You help others, you become more like Jesus and God gets the glory. That's what makes something that is bad and God turns it for good. It's most of the time what that's going to look for and that magnifies Christ. So we boast only in the cross because for apart from the cross, every bad thing in life is just what? Bad. There's no opportunity for God to turn it into good. Number three is connected to number two, we hope in suffering. David Mathis says this, he says, if God works the greatest good through the greatest evil, that is the crucifixion of the Son of God, then our sufferings in this life are turned upside down. We grieve them, yet even as we do, we rejoice in what God is doing in and through them. Think about that for a second, that God works the greatest good. He worked the greatest good through the greatest evil. The Son of God dying, greatest possible evil. And yet through it, God worked the greatest possible good. And so the thing that you face right now in your suffering, in your pain, where's the hope? The hope is in the cross. It's the assurances in the cross that God can take the worst thing and turn it for good. So God can take the worst thing in your life and turn it for good. Turn it completely upside down. That's why we boast in the cross. And number four, we demonstrate life no matter our circumstances. This verse is connected with our text, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This verse, that's life, that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me me. My mind, what I love has changed. My heart's affections have changed. I've been changed. I've been made new by Jesus Christ. Paul found this. I have found this. Many of you have found this, and there's nothing more glorious. Would you give it up for anything? I wouldn't. I wouldn't give it up for anything. There is nothing worth more. There's nothing more worthy to give your life to because of the work that God has done to make us new. What an incredible truth. So let's come back to our text here. Look at the pink. See how it connects to verse 14 in the yellow. What does the pink say? It tells us that human marks don't matter for who is in and who is out of the family of God. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. What counts? A new creation. What matters is a changed life. One that bears the mark, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And then look how it connects to verse um, 16 in the orange. So now who's the Israel of God? Who's the people of God? According to Paul, as he's been arguing throughout all of Galatians, not the nation, but everyone who's made a new creation by the sovereignty of God and the work of Jesus on the cross and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. This is who belongs to the family of God, told in the beautiful story of the gospel. And to those who belong to the family of God, we bear the marks of Jesus. The mark of a Christian is not circumcision, but the mark of a Christian is the Holy Spirit inside of them. And one of the ways that that shows up, that we see that demonstrated He's in a willingness to follow Christ when life gets really, really hard. Right in the face of persecution. The Apostle Paul very literally bore so many marks of Jesus on his body as he was beaten and shipwrecked and whipped to the point of death and put in chains. All for boasting in the cross of his Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul also bore emotional scars, didn't he? He left his entire community when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. People that went from loving and respecting him to being the people that hated him and persecuted him. He went from everyone loving him to everyone except for Christians thinking he was somewhere on the spectrum between crazy, stupid, or a heretic. And I know that many of you bear the marks of Jesus for standing on the gospel. Some of you have lost business Some of you have lost your career or had friends or even more painfully family cut you off because you boast in the cross of Christ because you're a Christian. And that's so hard to walk through, isn't it? Here's my encouragement to you. And I think you will find this too because what I found to be true in my life is the scars that I bear for standing for the gospel have made the words of Scripture come alive more in my life than anything else. When you love someone who's hurt you or someone who hates you, you get that little glimpse of the deep, deep, deep love of God. You get sanctified a little bit more. When patience is required of you over and over and over and over and over and over again through persecution, or when the gospel compels you to forgive someone over and over and over and over and over and over again, you get to know God more. Why? We could spend a day here, one minute. In short, it's because of this. It's because love and grace and mercy and patience and forgiveness all come with a cost, don't they? When you forgive someone, there is a personal cost. Here's how this works. The sin that wronged you the sin that deeply hurt you, that caused you pain in your life, you choose to take that cost upon yourself when you forgive someone instead of trying to make them pay for it. There's a cost to forgiveness. And is this not what Jesus has done for us? Is this not what we're remembering in this text and we're going to be remembering in a few moments in communion? Is it not exponentially more what he did for us, the cost that he bore, our sin against him? And yet Jesus bore that cost so that we could be with him. So when you forgive someone in the very biblical sense of it, you get a glimpse of God. You're made a little bit more like Christ. So you bear the marks of Jesus with what? You get to bear them with thankfulness and joy in spite of the pain And the cost. So, Paul boasts only in the cross because he's made a new creation. He found it to be true. In suffering for his king, he found that Jesus was more than enough for him. He found the truth that there's only one gospel and that is worth guarding, but also worth living every single day. And so, we're going to close with a song. And I just want you to take these next couple minutes and just to reflect on the power of the gospel at work in your life. The song talks about suffering and how the gospel flips suffering on its head and uses it for the greatest good, that through the scars that Jesus bore, that we would have life and that we would know God more. Let's take some time to reflect and then we'll pray as we close. close in prayer. God would come before you just say that we are thankful, Lord, for the scars. We're thankful for the suffering that we have gone through, for the marks on our body that we bear, marks of Jesus, for standing firm in the gospel because those scars have taught us about you. And Lord, above everything else, we are thankful for your scars that you bore on the cross at Calvary that remind me of the tremendous cost of my sin that was laid on you in order that you would die in my place. And come back to life that I may have life in you be a new creation. Lord, may I not add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Lord, for all of us, would our lives, would we be a church that boasts in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ alone? Would our lives just scream the good news of the gospel in every way possible? If there's blessing in our life, would we harness that to tell other people how great you are? If there's suffering in our life, would we harness that to tell and to show other people how great and good it is to follow you? In whatever we come across, what our lives boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ alone, there's only one gospel. Would we stand firm in it and would we live like it? God, I want to live like it. There's so many times where I fall short. Would you help me, compel me? Would we do this together to boldly proclaim the gospel in words and in actions that the whole world, that all of Muskoka would know you? God, I don't want to stop praying that prayer until all of Muskoka knows you. And then I'm not going to stop there and we're going to just keep praying that all of Ontario would know you and Canada would know you and the world would know you. Because what I have found in you, when, when when you changed my life, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I'm so grateful for that fact. Thankful for your word. Thankful for your son. Pray that you be with us now as we remember the cross through communion in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.